Chapter Ten Three of the Nine Eleven Commission Report. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Carl Manchester, two thousand and eight. The Nine Eleven Commission Report, Chapter Ten Three, Phase Two, and the Question of Iraq. President Bush had wondered immediately after the attack whether Saddam Hussein's regime might have had a hand in it. Iraq had been an enemy of the United States for eleven years, and was the only place in the world where the United States was engaged in ongoing combat operations. As a former pilot, the President was struck by the apparent sophistication of the operation and some of the piloting, especially Hanjo's high-speed dive into the Pentagon. He told us he recalled Iraqi support for Palestinian suicide terrorists as well. Speculating about other possible states that could be involved, the President told us he also thought about Iran. Clark has written that on the evening of September the 12th, President Bush told him and some of his staff to explore possible Iraqi links to 9-11. See if Saddam did this, Clark recalls the President telling them. See if he's linked in any way. Footnote. Richard A. Clark, Against All Enemies, Inside America's War on Terror, Free Press 2004. According to Clark, he responded that Al-Qaeda did this. When the President pressed Clark to check if Saddam was involved and said that he wanted to learn of any shred of evidence, Clark promised to look at the question again, but added that the NSC and the intelligence community had looked in the past for linkages between Al-Qaeda and Iraq and had never found any real linkages. End footnote. While he believed the details of Clark's account to be incorrect, President Bush acknowledged that he might well have spoken to Clark at some point, asking him about Iraq. Footnote. President Bush told us that Clark had mischaracterized this exchange. On the evening of September the 12th, the President was at the Pentagon and then went to the White House residence. He dismissed the idea that he had been wandering around the Situation Room alone, saying, I don't do that. He said that he did not think that any President would roam around looking for something to do, while Clark said he had found the President's tone very intimidating. President Bush doubted that anyone would have found his manner intimidating. Roger Cressy, Clark's deputy, recalls this exchange with the President and Clark concerning Iraq shortly after 9-11, but did not believe the President's manner was intimidating. End footnote. Responding to a presidential tasking, Clark's office sent a memo to Rice on September the 18th titled Survey of Intelligence Information on Any Iraqi Involvement in the September 11 Attacks. Rice's chief staffer on Afghanistan, Zalmay Khalilzad, concurred in its conclusion that only some anecdotal evidence linked Iraq to Al-Qaeda. The memo found no compelling case that Iraq had either planned or perpetrated the attacks. It passed along a few foreign intelligence reports, including the Czech report alleging an April 2001 Prague meeting between Atta and an Iraqi intelligence officer, discussed in Chapter 7, and a Polish report that personnel at the headquarters of Iraqi intelligence in Baghdad were told before September 11th to go on the streets to gauge crowd reaction to an unspecified event. 
arguing that the case for links between Iraq and Al-Qaeda was weak, the memo pointed out that bin Laden resented the secularism of Saddam Hussein's regime. Finally, the memo said, there was no confirmed reporting on Saddam cooperating with bin Laden on unconventional weapons. Footnote. NSC memo, Kurtz to Rice, Survey of Intelligence Information on Any Iraqi Involvement in the September 11 Attacks. On 60 Minutes, CBS, March 21, 2004, Clark said that the first draft of this memo was returned by the NSC front office because it did not find a tie between Iraq and Al-Qaeda. Rice and Hadley deny that they asked to have the memo redone for this reason. End footnote. On the afternoon of 9-11, According to contemporaneous notes, Secretary Rumsfeld instructed General Myers to obtain quickly as much information as possible. The notes indicate that he also told Myers that he was not simply interested in striking empty training sites. He thought the US response should consider a wide range of options and possibilities. The Secretary said his instinct was to hit Saddam Hussein at the same time, not only bin Laden. Secretary Rumsfeld later explained that at this time he had been considering either one of them, or perhaps someone else, as the responsible party. According to Rice, the issue of what, if anything, to do about Iraq was really engaged at Camp David. Briefing papers on Iraq, along with many others, were in briefing materials for the participants. Rice told us the administration was concerned that Iraq would take advantage of the 9-11 attacks. She recalled that in the first Camp David session, chaired by the President, Rumsfeld asked what the administration should do about Iraq. Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz made the case for striking Iraq during this round of the War on Terrorism. Footnote. Rice told us that the Bush at War account of the Camp David discussion on Iraq accorded with her memory. End footnote. A Defence Department paper for the Camp David briefing book on the strategic concept for the war on terrorism specified three priority targets for initial action. Al-Qaeda, the Taliban and Iraq. It argued that of the three, Al-Qaeda and Iraq posed a strategic threat to the United States. Iraq's long-standing involvement in terrorism was cited along with its interest in weapons of mass destruction. Secretary Powell recalled that Wolfowitz, not Rumsfeld, argued that Iraq was ultimately the source of the terrorist problem and should therefore be attacked. Footnote. Rumsfeld told Bob Woodward that he had no recollection of Wolfowitz's remarks at Camp David. DOD transcript, Secretary Rumsfeld interview with the Washington Post. January the ninth, two thousand and two. End footnote. Powell said that Wolfowitz was not able to justify his belief that Iraq was behind nine eleven. Quote, Paul was always of the view that Iraq was a problem that had to be dealt with, Powell told us. And he saw this as one way of using this event as a way to deal with the Iraq problem. End quote. Powell said that President Bush did not give Wolfowitz's argument, quote, much weight, end quote. Though continuing to worry about Iraq in the following week, Powell said, President Bush saw Afghanistan as the priority. Footnote. Powell raised concerns that a focus on Iraq 
might negate progress made with the international coalition the administration was putting together for Afghanistan. Taking on Iraq at this time could destroy the international coalition. End footnote. President Bush told Bob Woodward that the decision not to invade Iraq was made at the morning session on September the 15th. Iraq was not even on the table during the September the 15th afternoon session, which dealt solely with Afghanistan. Rice said that when President Bush called her on Sunday, September the 16th, he said the focus would be on Afghanistan, although he still wanted plans for Iraq should the country take some action or the administration eventually determine that it had been involved in the 9-11 attacks. At the September the 17th NSC meeting, there was some further discussion of Phase 2 of the War on Terrorism. President Bush ordered the Defence Department to be ready to deal with Iraq if Baghdad acted against US interests, with plans to include possibly occupying Iraqi oil fields. Within the Pentagon, Deputy Secretary Wolfowitz continued to press the case for dealing with Iraq. Writing to Rumsfeld on September the 17th in a memo headlined, Preventing More Events, he argued that if there was even a 10% chance that Saddam Hussein was behind the 9-11 attack, maximum priority should be placed on eliminating that threat. Wolfowitz contended that the odds were far more than 1 in 10, citing Saddam's praise for the attack, his long record of involvement in terrorism, and theories that Ramzi Youssef was an Iraqi agent and Iraq was behind the 1993 attack on the World Trade Center. Footnote. We review contacts between Iraq and Al-Qaeda in Chapter 2. We have found no credible evidence to support theories of Iraqi government involvement in the 1993 World Trade Center bombing. Wolfowitz added in his memo that he had attempted in June to get the CIA to explore these theories. End footnote. The next day, Wolfowitz renewed the argument, writing to Rumsfeld about the interest of Yousef's co-conspirator in the 1995 Manila air plot in crashing an explosives-laden plane into CIA headquarters and about information from a foreign government regarding Iraqis' involvement in the attempted hijacking of a Gulf Air flight. Given this background, he wondered why so little thought had been devoted to the danger of suicide pilots, seeing a, quote, failure of imagination, end quote, and a mindset that dismissed possibilities. On September the 19th, Rumsfeld offered several thoughts for his commanders as they worked on their contingency plans. Though he emphasised the worldwide nature of the conflict, the references to specific enemies or regions named only the Taliban, Al-Qaeda and Afghanistan. Footnote. DOD Memo. Rumsfeld to Shelton. Some thoughts for the CINCs as they prepare plans. September the 19th, 2001. In a memo that appears to be from Under Secretary of Defence Douglas Fyth to Rumsfeld, dated September the 20th, the author expressed disappointment at the limited options immediately available in Afghanistan and the lack of ground options. The author suggested instead hitting terrorist targets outside the Middle East in the initial offensive, perhaps deliberately selecting a non-Al-Qaeda target like Iraq. Since US attacks were expected in Afghanistan, an American attack in South America or Southeast Asia might be a surprise to the terrorists. The memo may have been a draft never sent to Rumsfeld, 
or maybe a draft of points being suggested for Rumsfeld to deliver in a briefing to the President. DOD Memo Fife to Rumsfeld, Briefing Draft, September twentieth, two 2001, End Footnote Sheldon told us, the administration reviewed all the Pentagon's war plans and challenged certain assumptions underlying them, as any prudent organisation or leader should do. General Tommy Franks, the commanding general of Central Command, recalled receiving Rumsfeld's guidance that each regional commander should assess what these plans meant for his area of responsibility. He knew he would soon be striking the Taliban and Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, but, he told us, he now wondered how that action was connected to what might need to be done in Somalia, Yemen or Iraq. On September the 20th, President Bush met with British Prime Minister Tony Blair, and the two leaders discussed the global conflict ahead. When Blair asked about Iraq, the President replied that Iraq was not the immediate problem. Some members of his administration, he commented, had expressed a different view, but he was the one responsible for making the decisions. Franks told us that he was pushing independently to do more robust planning on military responses in Iraq during the summer before 9-11, a request President Bush denied, arguing that the time was not right. CENTCOM also began dusting off plans for a full invasion of Iraq during this period, Franks said. The CENTCOM commander told us he renewed his appeal for further military planning to respond to Iraqi moves shortly after 9-11, both because he personally felt that Iraq and Al-Qaeda might be engaged in some form of collusion, and because he worried that Saddam might take advantage of the attacks to move against his internal enemies in the northern or southern parts of Iraq, where the United States was flying regular missions to enforce Iraqi no-fly zones. Franks said that President Bush again turned down this request. Having issued directives to guide his administration's preparations for war, on Thursday, September the 20th, President Bush addressed the nation before a joint session of Congress. Quote, Tonight, he said, we are a country awakened to danger. End quote. The President blamed Al-Qaeda for 9-11 and the 1998 embassy bombings and, for the first time, declared that Al-Qaeda was, quote, responsible for bombing the USS Cole, end quote. Footnote. Several NSC officials, including Clark and Cressy, told us that the mention of the Cole in the speech to Congress marked the first public US declaration that Al-Qaeda had been behind the October 2000 attack. Clark said he added the language on this point to the speech. End footnote. He reiterated the ultimatum that had already been conveyed privately. Quote, the Taliban must act and act immediately, he said. They will hand over the terrorists or they will share their fate. End quote. Footnote. President Bush told the Washington Post that he considered having Powell deliver the ultimatum to the Taliban, but determined it would have more impact coming directly from the President. End footnote. The President added that America's quarrel was not with Islam. Quote, the enemy of America is not our many Muslim friends. It is not our many Arab friends. Our enemy is a radical network of terrorists and every government that supports them. End quote. Other regimes faced hard choices, he pointed out. Quote, Every nation in every region 
now has a decision to make. Either you are with us, or you are with the terrorists. End quote. President Bush argued that the new war went beyond bin Laden. Quote, Our war on terror begins with Al-Qaeda, but it does not end there, he said. It will not end until every terrorist group of global reach has been found, stopped and defeated. End quote. The President had a message for the Pentagon. Quote, the hour is coming when America will act, and you will make us proud. End quote. He also had a message for those outside the United States. Quote, this is civilization's fight, he said. We ask every nation to join us. End quote. President Bush approved military plans to attack Afghanistan in meetings with Central Command's General Franks and other advisers on September the 21st and October the 2nd. Originally titled Infinite Justice, the operation's codeword was changed to avoid the sensibilities of Muslims who associate the power of infinite justice with God alone, to the operational name still used for operations in Afghanistan, Enduring Freedom. Footnote. Tommy Frank's interview, April the 9th, 2004. Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff Richard Myers and Major General Del Daly, Commander of Joint Special Operations Command, also attended the September the 21st meeting. The meeting was in direct response to the President's September the 17th instruction to Rumsfeld to develop a military campaign for Afghanistan. The original Infinite Justice name was a continuation of a series of names begun in August 1998 with Operation Infinite Reach, the airstrikes against bin Laden's facilities in Afghanistan and Sudan after the embassy bombings. The series also included Operation Infinite Resolve, a variety of proposed follow-on strikes on Al-Qaeda targets in Afghanistan. End footnote. The plan had four phases. In Phase 1, the United States and its allies would move forces into the region and would arrange to operate from or over neighbouring countries such as Uzbekistan and Pakistan. This occurred in the weeks following 9-11, aided by overwhelming international sympathy for the United States. In Phase 2, airstrikes and special operations attacks would hit key Al-Qaeda and Taliban targets. In an innovative joint effort, CIA and Special Operations Forces would be deployed to work together with each major Afghan faction opposed to the Taliban. The Phase 2 strikes and raids began on October the 7th. The basing arrangements contemplated for Phase 1 were substantially secured after arduous effort by the end of that month. In Phase 3, the United States would carry out quote, decisive operations, end quote, using all elements of national power, including ground troops, to topple the Taliban regime and eliminate al-Qaeda's sanctuary in Afghanistan. Mazar-e-Sharif, in northern Afghanistan, fell to a coalition assault by Afghan and US forces on November the 9th. Four days later, the Taliban had fled from Kabul. By early December, all major cities had fallen to the coalition. On December the 22nd, Hamid Karzai, a Pashtun leader from Kandahar, was installed as the chairman of Afghanistan's interim administration. Afghanistan had been liberated from the rule of the Taliban. In December 2001, Afghan forces, with limited US support, engaged al-Qaeda elements in a cave complex called Tora Bora. 
in March 2002, the largest engagement of the war was fought in the mountainous Shah-i-Kot area south of Gardez against a large force of Al-Qaeda jihadists. The three-week battle was substantially successful and almost all remaining Al-Qaeda forces took refuge in Pakistan's equally mountainous and lightly governed frontier provinces. As of July 2004, Bin Laden and Zawahiri are still believed to be at large. In Phase 4, civilian and military operations turn to the indefinite task of what the armed forces call, quote, security and stability operations, end quote. Within about two months of the start of combat operations, several hundred CIA operatives and Special Forces soldiers, backed by the striking power of US aircraft and a much larger infrastructure of intelligence and support efforts, had combined with Afghan militias and a small number of other coalition soldiers to destroy the Taliban regime and disrupt Al-Qaeda. They had killed or captured about a quarter of the enemy's known leaders. Mohammed Atef, Al-Qaeda's military commander and a principal figure in the 9-11 plot, had been killed by a US airstrike. According to a senior CIA officer who helped devise the overall strategy, the CIA provided intelligence, experience, cash, covert action capabilities and entree to tribal allies. In turn, the US military offered combat expertise, firepower, logistics and communications. With these initial victories won by the middle of 2002, the global conflict against Islamist terrorism became a different kind of struggle. End of chapter 10 of 3